0: Um we, um we had such a great time with our friend Scott. And if I get to spend more time with him, you'll be happy because he's a really good teacher. And he's organized. And his teaching is really well organized. And I think we were a good pair because he would, he would just put everything in order. And then I maybe told the story from the Bible. For instance, in Romans 8, all things work together for good. When we did Romans 8, I just went through the entire life of Joseph. And uh, was able to put maybe flesh on it, if you will. Um, and it just just worked really well. That was easier for me, and it was easier for him to outline the book of Romans. So it's great. <laughs> and I might learn from him. So uh, Roman excuse me, John 14 is where we begin today. And I'm going to read the first verse, and then you'll be able to review from four weeks ago. All right? This is Jesus speaking. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Now, this is in light of his just at the Last Supper changing things, stirring things, declaring that one of these disciples was going to betray him, Judas, that Peter is going to deny him, it's a del- declaration of his own death that he's discussing with them and will continue to. And he's just told Peter, you know, you're going to, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny that you even know me three times. And we were over that four weeks ago. That's John 13. He's not, Jesus didn't start a new chapter. He's still in the middle of his conversation. Okay. So he says to Peter, you're going to deny me before the rooster crows three times. Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Do you understand what I just said to you? That this is not a separate conversation that we're starting just because somebody put chapter 14 in later. This is Jesus communicating. In light of all these things, how can you not let your heart be troubled? How in the world can these guys who are hearing all this, seeing all this, experiencing all this, and there's chaos out and tension in the streets around Passover, How can Jesus say to them, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Hmm. Well, it would be very natural from the pressure, the fear, the confusion, the trouble that they're facing and that he's telling them about to give in to all the emotions that all of us have over difficult things. But in verses 2 through 4, Maybe we learn how to not let our heart be troubled. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. Yours may say mansions, may say dwelling place. That's more accurate. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. We've all heard these verses, most of us, many times. See, it's natural to feel pressure, fear, and trouble, and give in to emotion, but it's supernatural to believe in Jesus and to believe Jesus. See, is there a difference between believing in Jesus and believing Jesus? I've mentioned it many times, and I'll continue as long as I have breath. There's a lot of people that generically, kind of, sort of, Believe in Jesus. Are you with me? And then there's people who believe in Jesus and believe Jesus. Because to believe in Jesus is clearly to believe him and take him at his word. Our faith is not a general concept about God, but it's an assurance from God. And Jesus is clear. You know, Jesus never lied to us. I, Sometimes people will stretch the truth, will I- I exaggerate to try to make a point and, uh, <laughs> and, and tell you things in their exuberance to tell you about Jesus. They might tell you things that aren't really true, not even intentionally lying to you. But Jesus never lied to you, and he never will. Jesus told us many, and his disciples, many hard things. I mean, I'm going to the cross you can't come with me now. You're going to all forsake me and run away. If the world, we haven't read it all yet, but he's going to be saying things like, if the world hates me, well, they're going to hate you also. There's more. Jesus told us lots of hard things, but he never lied to us. And, and, and so, if there was a dark end to my life, he's saying here, and if there was a dark end to my life and a dark end to your faith, I would have told you. Because was Jesus afraid to tell them hard things? No. See, part of why we understand the reality of the scripture is it's not a fairy tale story. A fairy tale story doesn't have real human failure in it. It doesn't have people drop the ball who are number one uh, associates of the star doesn't have the star go through trouble the way Jesus goes through trouble. It, they're just, it's just a real story. It tells you details and facts that really don't, wouldn't matter if you were telling a fairy tale story, but the reason they're there is because people are recording things that actually happened, the way they happened. And when you read the Bible, it's different than ancient literature. It's not literature. It's a recording of God's truth. So Jesus would have told them, but he says, but listen to me, I'm preparing a place for you, and that's not just us generically, those disciples and all the world, all those who believe, just a general thing. God is preparing a place for you personally, for you personally. He's saying this to them, and it's personal. You know, that's a pretty amazing thing. Um, What is the farthest galaxy from us? Does anybody know? I thought you would. Uh, It is, you're right. It's MACS0647 JD. <laughs> that's the name of the one they found most recently with the Hubble telescope um, that's a fraction the size of our Milky Way, but it's 13.3 billion light years from Earth. So, how long would it take you to get <laughs> 13.3 billion light years, assuming you could? Well, if you went back and forth across the USA, the width of the USA, uh, coast to coast, 66 times, back and forth is one, back and forth is two, 66 times, um, you would reach 186,000 miles. And of course, that would be at an average speed of of 60 miles an hour, which is kind of slow for us, but that would take you one year and three weeks. Okay, if you went 66 times across 186,000 miles, it would take you at constantly moving 60 miles an hour, one year plus three weeks. Light travels that far in a second. In a second. Hello. In a second. <laughs> so, you, so you imagine the speed of light. It's 13.3 billion light years away. The answer, how long would it take? A while. Okay. <laughs> Do you want all the zeros and the point, whatever? I don't. So Isaiah forty twelve says that God, you hold, he, the Lord declares of himself, excuse me, I hold the universe in the span of my hand between the end of your small finger to your um, thumb. There is still a little jet lag going on here. Okay, so just bear with me, but I am stoked. (laughs) Okay, Uh, you hold the universe in the span. Psalm 147 tells us that you've named the stars. You call them by name, and the heaven of heavens cannot contain me, the Lord says. So yet Jesus, God the Son, says, I'm preparing a place for you. The God who is vast beyond the furthest thing that we could possibly imagine who encompasses it all right here and that's just a picture he could hold it there too because he's, this means that he's eternal and beyond space and beyond time and yet he who created the most beautiful thing you could ever imagine place you've ever been is preparing a place for you. Yeah, that's a pretty good thing. That where I am, you will be with me forever. This is huge, and it's just a little bit too huge for Thomas. And I don't blame him. Verse 5. Thomas, 5 through 11. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, "Uh, Lord, show us the Father, and it's sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, have I been so long with you? Have I been with you, excuse me, so long, and yet you've not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. There's more here than we'll get to today, really. There's more here than we get to in a century or 13.3 billion light years, but Thomas is a confused and honest man. He's an honest man, and he's confused. None of this is making sense to him. Right? Are you catching that? And, and Philip's not far behind him, okay? And, and so finally, somebody decides Peter is speaking up, right? So you know what this means? That Peter's not alone. Peter wasn't alone. You remember, and we, we, we were going through Romans. As I said, many of our teachings were going through the first eight chapters of Romans, and uh, I would bring the people to the story in Matthew 16 where Jesus is up in the Caesarea Philippi area, up in the northern region, and he's sharing with his disciples. And he says, whom do men say that I am? And they tell him all the prophets that people think Jesus is. He says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up. You know, Peter's like, uh, Peter says, you're the, the Messiah, the son of the living God. Uh, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Peter, but my Father in heaven. My Father has made you know this and understand this right now. It's a spiritual truth. It's beyond human understanding. Flesh and blood does not give you this understanding. But my Father in heaven. And I can just picture Peter. Okay, boys, like, did you hear that? So, like, all the arguing about who's number one next to Jesus, because they were doing that all the time. I think all the arguing over who's number one is pretty much sealed now. Do you get what I'm saying, guys? Did you hear what Jesus said? I, I got it. It's so much so that a few minutes later, Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be crucified, shares that whole thing, and Peter jumped, I can just picture him, I'm just in my mind, jumping in front of Jesus. Uh, boys, I got this one, boys. Hold on. Jesus. <laughs> no way, Jose. This will never happen to you. Huh? I'm, you know, <laughs> this is never going to happen to you. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. For you are mindful of or like-minded with the things that be of men and not the things that be of God. Was Jesus really calling Peter Satan? Or was he showing Peter the influence in his life? See, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but a few minutes later, uh, you're minding or like-minded with the things of men. If you can flip over to Romans chapter 8, verse 5, it might be worth your time. Just hold your place and go past the book of Acts into Romans, chapter 8 and verse 5. See, because these guys are trying to understand Jesus, and they're at a slight disadvantage to you and me right now, even though they're right in front of him. It's going to change, but let's understand what needs to change. Verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh, that's a human nature, the carnal mind, earthly under the influence of Satan in this world. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded, human, unregenerated, human thinking, is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity, or in opposition, against God. It is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Boy, that's describing Peter's mindset when he says, this will never happen to you, Lord. Listen, people think a carnal Christian, carnality, fleshly. We use those terms that the world kind of people go, what does all that mean? We think of it as, you know, it's, it's all about, you know, yeah, it's that drug, sex, and rock and roll. You know, all that, all that you know, temptation stuff, right? That's what people think of when they think of being worldly. People think of being worldly. Oh, you're after money. Oh, you're after success. Well, those things may be true. Oh, you're after pleasing the lusts and desires of your human side. Well, that's true. But it's not the whole truth. To be carnally minded, fleshly minded minding the things of men and not the things of God is also people with good intentions wanting to do the right thing but doing it through human energy and human means have you been there (laughs) I sure have we all have believe me I'm telling you forgive me I'm going to just tell you you've been there you might be there right now it wouldn't be past any of us because, see, the, it's in opposition. The flesh never changes. Human nature doesn't change. We take on a new nature in Christ. It doesn't take long if you go back to the old nature to have all the things that are embodied in that. And Peter jumped from God showing him great, wonderful things to being, get behind me, Satan, just like you could, you know, before you could blink. And he wasn't alone. His intention was good. He doesn't want Jesus to die. Peter loves Jesus. This isn't that he doesn't love him. But you cannot please God out of human energy. God has to work in you and free you and send his Holy Spirit to you. And these guys are right where they need to be because they just haven't been born again yet. And that's what's going on here. And, And Jesus gives them all these things. You know, not born of the Spirit yet. Listen, it's like Jesus saying, listen, it's not going to be easy, and it won't be pretty. <laughs> but you know, we love to show pictures of new mothers with their brand new baby. Just Gail loves to go see them, and we have pictures, more pictures of them. And you, you love on Facebook or when you have family, anyway, you can get them. You see a picture of a mom. She may look a little, her hair's a little stringy, being wet from sweat. And, but she's got this glow on her face, little baby. But we never show the pictures of the middle of labor you know or where's the man you know choking choking the husband you know i'll kill you <laughs> we never show those pictures no 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 we don't want to see those pictures of her face ladies am i right in the middle of labor i remember with beth gail was had this wild eyed look on her face and the labor was taking a long time she goes i'm going home now i'm not going to do this i'm going to go home like well no honey you really can't this is going to happen and that was a good moment. You know. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. So, you know, but to be born again, it's not going to be easy, and it's not going to be pretty for these guys. They have a lot to go through. But he that's seen me has seen the Father, and I am the way. Not just I'll show you the way, I am the way. The best example I can give is one that was given to me by my pastor. We were in a big church with a huge sanctuary and a lot of hallways outside, and his son was three years old at the time when he taught this, and I always will remember this. He said, now I could say to my son, okay, three-year-old, do you need to go to the bathroom? Uh Uh-huh. Okay, well, go out that first door on the right, then make a right turn and go down a little hallway with a cubicle area, go go to the right there, and then make a left. And he could explain it, and he can draw him a map. Or he could just put his son on his shoulders and carry him. See, he could show him the way. He could tell him the way. Or he could put his little boy on his shoulders. I'll take you there. I am the way. What Jesus is doing with you, he isn't just showing you how to live. He isn't just showing you what's right and wrong. He isn't just teaching us and telling us mentally in the human mind. He is the way. It's him. I am the truth. Not a revealer of truth, not part of the truth. He is truth itself. Because all is about him. And if he's not in the middle of it, it isn't the truth. And we could, you know, how long could we take on these? I am the life. I'm not a way to live. One way to live. Well, that's nice for you. I am the life. And he made it so clear, no one comes to the Father except through me. But but you, Jesus, you can't really mean that you're that exclusive. I mean, did you have to say this? You've made life so hard for us who have to carry your message to others. Hmm? You don't think you've never felt that when you're under pressure? So you guys think Jesus is the only way, huh? Are you serious? You, you, Your way is the only way. And what do you do? What's the nature? What's the natural thing to do? Kind of backpedal and say, well, let me explain it to you. Uh, you know, and it is okay to explain it to him. But let God help us understand something here. You can't really be that exclusive. Well, yeah, no man comes to the Father but by me. Listen, are you really sure that Jesus has made it harder by saying this? I submit to you, he's made things much easier. Stay with me. You might have to chew on it. It's much easier, not harder. You see, if we rob Jesus of his exclusivity, we rob ourselves of his power in our own lives. And we rob others of the truth of Jesus. It's really like, do you know who Dr. Kent Bradley is? You heard about him last year. He was the Samaritan's Purse doctor who contracted Ebola there in Liberia. I think Liberia. Or one of those countries. And he's the one that came back and got better. And then they took his blood and used his plasma. Because he has antibodies that have built up in his blood that can help fight and attack the Ebola in other people because that's what happened that caused him to get better. Right? Good? Okay. If somebody's dying of Ebola, you don't give them sugar water because it's offensive that they need Kent Bradley's blood plasma. <laughs> you give them what's going to take care of the problem. You see? And, and Christ's exclusivity it is about Jesus making everyone included who will, giving everyone a chance. And I will explain that a little bit later. See, uh, if the Christianity, if Jesus' message about himself and who he is and what he's saying right here is not true and not, and not clearly stated, uh, you know, Christianity would never have made it through the first century, For those facing their own crosses, actual crosses, unless they deny Jesus. Or those who are looking down the throat of a hungry lion wearing sheepskins with blood all over them, being tied to them and their children placed in the Colosseums. If if Jesus is not exclusive, if he's just one of many ways, take another way. (laughs) Come on, man, take another way. If Jesus is just one of many ways, then Jesus, get off that cross. Well, wait a minute, Rick. There is. What about Islamic terrorists? I mean, they are totally sold out, and they're willing to die for their cause, and others through history have been willing to die. There are people who care about the environment that are willing to be killed or die and stand in front of a, or ram a boat you know, <laughs> you know, et cetera, from Greenpeace or something. And I'm not, I'm, there's people who are willing to give their lives. But listen, look at the source. Jesus gave his life to save everyone. Muhammad was violent. And whether, whether he would, whether those who believe in him, in his ministry, <laughs> would declare that he only fought back when he was attacked, he did fight back and did more. And he taught that. okay. In 1 Corinthians 13, and you could go all over the world through all history, Paul makes it clear under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he goes, even if I give my body to be burned and say I'm going to just die for this cause to show my my concern, whatever way it would be, even if I give my body burned in sacrifice and do not have agape, the love of Jesus Christ, it profits me nothing. So, yes, we understand, and you should understand, and I should understand, there are people who are willing to sacrifice their lives for their cause, whether it's by violence or whether it's by willingly dying. But there's no one who came from heaven to earth, sinless and perfect, who and Jesus, of all the respected world religious leaders, only Jesus declared such things about himself absolute claim without hesitation you know jesus could have said did i blink what do i stammer (laughs) because he said it as clear as a person can say it all right just we understand there's going to be turmoil over this you know when something's really important and really deep and really direct there's usually some a little dust flies okay (laughs) Now, you can have conversations with people all day, generically. Don't ruffle any feathers. You can feed sugar water to everybody you want all day, and they'll drink it. And you can drink it together. But when you get down to brass tacks, to the real deal, some way or some other different way, however you're going to do it, you're going to come upon the reality that exclusivity of Jesus Christ is what includes people in salvation. It's not meant to keep people out it's the only way to get people in. And if that's not clear in your mind, then you can't communicate clearly to others. So that's why I'm so happy for this, even though it's a challenge for sure. Jesus made this claim without hesitation. And if God sent Jesus, he sent him with absolute purpose. And if Jesus has absolute purpose, then he has absolute clarity about that purpose. Are you following so far? And he has, if he has absolute clarity about that purpose, then he's also trustworthy. You can trust him. He is the promised messenger of God, and he is the promised message of God, and he is the promised means by which God delivers lost, fallen people from eternal separation from himself in a lake of fire. Romans 2 declares God's ability to know and reach lost people who've never heard. I'm not putting a blanket statement saying they're all saved, anything like that. We have many testimonies through history, a book called Eternity in Their Hearts, where missionaries and people of faith have gone to people who had never heard of the gospel, but were primed and ready to hear it when they did because they already believed their need for a savior and there's so many stories i won't go into those we have recent stories in the islamic world from people we know and i know jewish people who had god reveal them to reveal himself to them and muslim people many more than you'll ever hear about who are just afraid to speak up because they'll be killed and I'm not trying to figure out and fix this. I looked at my job resume, and now, nowhere in my job resume does it say, Rick Cohen has to fix this, about who's who there and separate all the people and who's standing up for Jesus and a true disciple and who isn't. I just know there's many people who God's revealed himself to who are willing. And Romans 1 tells us the reason people won't receive God is they have given up that conscience that he puts within us. It's a miracle when someone say, but it's a miracle that's needed by every person, and God is freely giving it. So when Jesus appears to his disciples after the resurrection, some of the verses I also share in in Africa all the time are in Luke 24. I'll just kind of go over this briefly with you. The two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Jesus hides his identity from them but speaks to them they're confused. And he says, oh, foolish and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And beginning at Moses, which means Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, it's the whole five books of Moses, the Torah. When he says Moses, that's what he's saying. Beginning at Moses, starting in Genesis, and all the prophets, he begins to explain to them all the scriptures talking about himself. Now, how long that would take, You know, I don't think Jesus even talked fast. He just shrunk time (laughs) and just told them the whole Bible. You know what I mean? That's a Bible study. I hope we have some kind of recording in heaven, but who cares? We'll see him face to face. But it's pretty great. And then later in that chapter at the end, in verses 44 to 48, he then goes and appears to all the disciples at once, and he opens their minds, it says. He opened their mind to understand the scripture. Okay, now why am I telling you this right here? I have no idea. No, I do have an idea. I'm telling you this right now because the promises of God are so important and clear. The authority of scripture is so absolute and certain that Jesus stands in front of his disciples. He eats a piece of bread and honeycomb to prove to them. He shows them his scar wounds in his hands and his side. They're, they're freaked out. And he says, no, it's me. Look, it's not, I'm not just a spirit. See, he eats something. He stands in front of them. They see the resurrected Jesus. You would think all you'll ever need for the rest of your life is to touch the resurrected Jesus. How many people out there say, well, if I could just see him, if he just appeared in front of me, These 11 disciples and whoever else was with them are standing there touching, seeing, hearing, a resurrected live from the dead, eternal glorified body, Jesus. I'm making sure you understand. Do you understand what I'm saying? (laughs) Is my language okay? And Jesus doesn't say, this is all you need boys touch me, now go. He stops right there And he gives them a Bible study. You may not be as affected by this as I am. I'm extremely affected by this. He appears to them in his glorified body. And the very next thing he does is he says, in essence, you're going to go out and I'm going to send you out to declare what you've seen and heard. And that's true. That's an important, absolute necessity. We have seen and touched the Lord. He's risen. And, equally important, because only 500 plus people ever saw Jesus resurrected. But there was about 500. But there was going to be literally millions and even billions to follow who never saw the resurrected Jesus, right? They would have to take the disciples at their word and, and, Scripture. Jesus then explained to them and showed them all the way through the Old Testament how it all clearly stated who he is. That he was supposed to come, how he'd come, how he'd die, how he'd rise, and how he's going to come back. And that's what you hold in your hands, precious people, where so many in Malawi can't read, and if they could, they don't have a Bible. And I don't want to worship the Bible (laughs) I don't worship the scriptures. I worship the God of the scriptures. And I am so thankful for revelation about who he is. And Peter gets up and stands before the Sanhedrin after this. After the day of Pentecost, later on, he's going to the temple, John chapter 5, 4. They lay hands on a, a lame man, rise up and walk. And this uproar happens, and he's brought before the Sanhedrin. And when they he says, if you're asking us by what authority and what power this man has been made whole, it's by the name of Jesus Christ. For in Acts 4.12, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He understands. He's been taken through the scripture. Sometimes we say, how does the... the, 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 the um, The Sanhedrin, the religious leader, said, how do these guys know so much? They never went to our schools. They went to a crash course with Jesus Christ, (laughs) Jesus the Christ, in the upper room. As he went through the scriptures with them, it's not just that the Holy Spirit brought remembrance, which he did, he did, he did, but he brought remembrance things that Jesus has told them and shown them from the scriptures. You know, it's a mind-blowing thing. And, and so, uh, exclusive? Absolutely. Self-righteous? That's the problem. Is exclusivity of Jesus make us automatically self-righteous? I say no. Can a person be self-righteous? Well, an Islamic can be self-righteous, a Greenpeace member can be self-righteous, and a Christian can be self-righteous. A Whole food store uh, advocate can be self-righteous. A take-care-of-cats person can be self-righteous. Do you understand what I'm saying? Self-righteousness is inherent in human nature. It's of the flesh. And it's been way too much in the church, hasn't it? But that doesn't mean the gospel isn't true just because people get self-righteous. See, Self-righteousness is a result of human nature, a fallen human nature. God-righteousness is a gift, and exclusive, absolutely. And we won't be self-righteous if we really understand the gospel and receive it, because it's inclusive. We don't tell people, my religion's better than yours. I've never said that to anyone, and I hope you don't. My religion is better than yours. Sometimes I do hear Christians go, well, our way, and us, it's like we got this team together, and our team's better than your team. Ah, no. Here's what we're really saying if we understand the gospel. Jesus is exclusive, not because of me, whether I believe in him or not. He's exclusively came to save people like me and you, and I'm just like you. I need that Savior because of my sin, and you need that Savior because of your sin, and I don't care what religion we're a part of, we need Jesus Christ to pay for our sin. And we don't tell people or communicate to people that we're smarter than they are, because I'm not. First, I mean, maybe you are smarter than many people, but I've taken a test, and I'm not. (laughs) It proves out I'm not smarter than other people. I'm not a better man than other people. We're not here to declare our own righteousness. Paul said it in Corinthians. We preach Christ Jesus and him crucified. We do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because, see, it's inclusive. In order for Christianity to be inclusive, and in any, for any religion, if you want to use the word religion, for any faith to be absolutely inclusive, it has to be exclusive. There has to be a way, a clear way for people to obtain, and most of those show a way to keep people out, but true Christianity, true Christianity does not keep people out. True Christianity says, you know what? If he saved me, he can save you. If he loves me, he can love you. I'm no brother, better than you are, buddy. I understand why you have trouble believing, but listen to me, I'm telling you, Jesus Christ paid for your sin and he's the only one who did and he paid for my sin too and I'm no better than you. Rick, you talk like everyone will just accept that. You're so emphatic right now and excited. No, I don't think everyone will accept that. Salvation's a miracle. My salvation was a miracle and so is yours. But it's a miracle that's needed and we experience that miracle in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we who believe Here's the deal. I'm not trying to figure everybody else out, out there. I do believe we need, and I think, Zach, I've got to listen to your message, talked about it last week. Absolutely. It's going to be a little hard for me to find real new ways to reach people because I am 62 going on 80, <laughs> and, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm moving, you know, I, I've, I've been where I've been through a lot of journey with that. And I want to learn all I can. But the onus is upon you young people. It is upon, look at the music. Look at the songs we're singing. People are being inspired with ways to communicate the gospel in new ways. um, With technology, I mean, truly, it does need to happen. Our methods and our manner, you know, I can only change so much in that. But I can encourage those who are following to do it. But the message is the message is the message. No sugar water. That's the thing. We only thing we have to do is make sure no sugar, water, but actually the, the blood, plasma, the right stuff. However, we need to share. Whatever, whatever way we're going to share, the, the elements that are needed are two things. And there's probably more, but I would say humility and conviction. And humility is going to include the big one love. You've got to share with love. But you've got to share with humility and conviction. And that's what will keep us from self-righteousness. Having conviction doesn't make you self-righteous. Do you have conviction? Are you sure? <laughs> do you believe what you believe? See, that's, Do you believe what you believe? Or do you feel like you have to hem and haw and apologize for Jesus Christ, being so straight and so forward? No, I might not understand him fully. I might not be able to communicate that when I want to. But Jesus needs no apology for declaring himself to be the way, the truth, and the life. He's saying, I'm exclusive because I've exclusively made a way that you will know with certainty. It's not about trying to be good enough. It's not about trying to follow this list of rules. You need to be set free because my blood has paid for your sin and it's the only way. I I don't believe everybody's going to receive it. But I don't control that. I need to share with humility and conviction and believe what I believe. So, were you hopelessly lost without Jesus? Or, is he, or are you just adding him onto your life because he might help you out? I, you know, maybe somebody in here isn't a Christian yet. I'm not down on you. I'm not better than you. But what I'd ask a Christian or a non-Christian is to really make sure we understand. Are you lost without Jesus? Could you ever be good enough? Did Jesus die for you? Did he go to prepare a place for you? Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is preparing a place for you? This is the gospel. In Africa, they always say, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure? I'm asking, yeah. And our friend Edwin says when we say, he'd say something, we'd say, are you sure? And he'd say, 101%. Are you 101% sure of your salvation? Because that's where God wants you to be we're not trying to fix the world right now. We're not trying to find a way to communicate better right this minute, though I think that's very important. And God help me. But when I, you know, I find when I'm one-on-one with somebody, I don't care what culture they're from or whatever, the gospel, there is a way if I'm in humility and I'm not better than them and I have conviction, I usually find a way to communicate. You know what I mean? If they'll talk I'll be able to communicate because, you know what? I have confidence in the gospel, and it does get through. Now, I also believe people make their own decision, and that's between them and God. So, are you sure? Paul was able to say, and it's on the front of your bulletin, and my friend Scott brought this out in his teaching, and I'm going to share it. Therefore, I testify to you this day. He's talking to the elders at Ephesus out on a beach where all the leaders of the church in that region He's been with them. He's been back and forth and wrote letters to them. He's the one who's taught them and shared the gospel in this region. And he says, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. You know, we must update the manner we use, the style, the approach. And that's why I call upon young people and encourage them to run, take the message and run with it and find that way. And I'm still working on it myself. Um, but take that mantle up. But we cannot in any way rob the gospel of its power. You know, when I was young, let's, you know, here's culture for you. When I was young, the muscle cars, some of you guys remember this. Man, like a Charger, a Super B, a Dodge Super B, 426 Hemi. I used to go, oh, man, it's got a 426 Hemi, 426 Hemi. That was a muscle car, muscle engine. And I never did figure out what Hemi meant. It was like half an engine? (laughs) I was afraid to ask, okay? But anyway, it had a 426 Hemi, it was supercharged. You know, they had the supercharger shoving the, before we had fuel injection, okay? You know, well, you can have this powerful 426 Hemi engine, but if you unscrew two spark plugs or one spark plug, that thing's like <laughs> instead of <laughs> the whole earth is shaking, you know. Now it's <laughs> <laughs> you heard it first here. Okay, <laughs> to take the authority and the absolute and the absolute exclusivity of Jesus out of the gospel is to pull all the spark plugs. You have no power. The God you pray to is made up in your own mind generically by going to a smorgasbord of ideas. And ideas don't save people. Concepts don't save people. Concepts don't take you out of human thinking into spiritual life. That's a gift from God that comes through the blood of Jesus Christ and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And I don't expect everyone to understand it, I sat through a Bible study the night I was saved, and I didn't understand a thing the guy was saying. But my heart was the hemi. What am I doing here? Why am I here? I can't believe I'm here. Why am I in this room? I got to get away from these Jesus freaks, but I can't. I I don't know what to do. What am I going to do? 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 And then later on that night, a Bible study's on, on a tape, reel to reel. And I wasn't really following the guy perfectly, and it was Chuck Smith, and he's a great Bible teacher. But all of a sudden, I stopped fighting. And the Holy Spirit was just telling me, I'm Jesus, I'm right here. I had him stand in the room with me. Because he'll do that. He will still come to people. Do you believe that? He'll come. He can't, why did he come to me? I'm not better than others. I'm not smarter than others. I'm not more holy than others. I was a punk kid who thought I knew everything. And Jesus came to me and broke me down. And I should believe that he loves everyone else out there just as much as he loves me. And I need not to flinch on this. Because if you spend all your time waffling over trying to fix everything for people, you're taking the power of the gospel away. In your own life, because your prayers are kind of like you have no idea whether God's really with you or not because you've made up all these ideas about him and watered down what you believe about him but when you stand firm on his word you're going to go through trials it's going to get ugly sometimes but you're going to stand on two feet on a solid rock and there's power in your life and there's power in the gospel through humility look I'm no better than you are in fact that's exactly why I'm telling you because if I thought I was better than you I wouldn't even care about you but a Christian, true Christian will care about people more Because that's Christ's love for them. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Let's all stand.